Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. The whole programme this week is coming from the Kunsthal in Rotterdam, where we shall be looking at two new exhibitions of photographs. For us British expats in Holland, Brexit has been a source of worry, frustration, anger and, dare I say it, shame. If you subscribe to conspiracy theories, you may well believe that the coronavirus episode was created by Boris Johnson in order to distract attention from Brexit. But now, with little more than three months to go, it's back in the headlines. I'm in one of the small galleries in the Kunsthal where an exhibition has just opened entitled My Brexit 5248 and I'm with the photographer, Merlin Daleman. 52-48, I take it, is the, the voting Yes, it's a refers to uh, the outcome of the referendum. Yeah. So you're, you're half Dutch or I half think Dutch. mother's Dutch? Yes, mother's Dutch, father's English. And yeah. you live in Holland? We live in Holland, yeah. Okay. And, you're a, and you're a photographer, you do a lot of reportage, of yes, everything mainly. really? Well, mainly a reportage and documentary photography. Yeah, yeah. What was your viewpoint? Where were you coming from? <clears throat> well, it kind of started with... Um, uh, well, me not understanding why um, people voted to leave, because that came as a huge surprise to me. Uh, then I thought to myself, well, don't I know these people? I mean, it's 52% of the population, and I've got to know a few Brexiteers. Um, so that was the beginning for me to look for the Brexiteers and to see who they are and what they're like and why they voted the way they voted. But looking at the pictures here, they, they're all of a certain type, they're all sort of, I don't know, um, working class, uh, they're all, well, a lot of them are quite fat, um, a lot of them are quite ugly, they're not, they're not really representative. Well, if you, if you look carefully, you, I wouldn't call the golfers over there uh, and the London pub goers uh, lower class or working class. But um, none of them look very happy though. Well, that is a, a sentiment I've, I've seen the last few years in the, in the UK. Um, not many happy people. Um, and Brexiteers and Remainers, both of them don't seem very happy. There aren't many smiles. There are a lot of people looking really quite glum and, and downcast. Was there any sort of revenge aspect in this in your no, work? No, saying, no, now no, you no, voted no. for it, now you've got it. <laughs> no, not at all. It was just really curiosity to see um, uh, why they voted what they voted so that's why I started by going to all the major um, Brexit areas um, which coincidentally if you put them next to the most impoverished areas in Britain are 80% are the same areas so that says something as it is already so if you go there then you do see uh, people in a not very good position and probably not all too happy but that was in the beginning, and afterwards I looked at um, uh, pro-Remain areas like in uh, Scotland and uh, other areas. <laughs> so it, it is quite diverse in the end, but the sentiment of not being happy is there. So over, over what period were these done? I mean, the, the Brexit thing has been rumbling on for yeah, years. So, uh, well, I started in January 17, um, and...
and the last pictures I took are of March 2020. Uh, not finished yet because, well, Brexit's not done yet, so <laughs> still got a couple of years to go, I reckon. Mm. Um, yeah, so this is done over a three-year uh, period. And I think possibly, although everybody's looking very glum and unhappy and scrappy, I think possibly the worst is yet to come. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Uh, the future for me, what I can see and can guess, is uh, it's not going to get much better very soon. It's only going to go that more downhill. But with, with, with this exhibition, you covered, as you say, the, the Midlands and, and the North predominantly. No. No, not really. No, I've been to Scotland, Northern Ireland. Um, well, north, north of Watford, anyway. <laughs> well, I've been, well, I've got some London ones as well. I mean, did, and, did, did and you Longford, find of course. There, very, there was very much a, a divide, a ge geographical divide. Let's be honest. London Borough is a bubble. It, it's it's not what the rest of England is like. It's it's totally alienated from uh, all the rest. A it's a different place. Um, but then again, uh, Romford is in the borough of London, um, and they voted. They had the highest Brexit vote of them all. Let's go and have a little, a little wander, um, because they, yep. you've got most of the pictures are arranged on uh, great panels of four by whatever, fifteen or twenty. So it's a, it's almost like a kaleidoscope. Yeah, this is a kaleidoscope of um, around about ninety-six images. And then on the other side over there, there are uh, 20 uh, prints. Okay. Um, so what have we got here? Um, all the usual suspect. There's a nice McDonald's sign outside an old Methodist chapel, I imagine. An old people's home. Single mums with babies. I mean, how did you, when, did you talk to these people at all? Quite a few, yeah. Well, take these. That's um, an old people's home. Well, it's not an old people's home, actually. It's um, like a... Day centre. It's, it's like, kind of like a day centre. It was a musical gathering to help um, uh, people, help them out from, let's say, uh, loneliness, just to give them something to do. Um, and there are music lessons to get the, the old folks up and dancing. Uh, had a quite, quite nice chats with them. A lot of war stories came forward, of course, then. Um, but then again, if you look at people like um, that, I believe his name is Matt, if I remember correctly. Um, just coming back from the food bank, a uh, real Brexiteer. He, uh, he said he believes he lost his job to uh, a Polish uh, worker. I, I mean, did, did you find that um, with people like him who, as you say, were hard, um, hardliners, that there were any sort of second thoughts or regrets or did we do the right thing? Or have they been um, more um, convinced they were right? Did you find a trend for that? Well. <laughs> What I heard a lot of the time is uh, people saying, well, life shit, it only can get better. So they think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they think. <laughs> I don't want to rub it in, but I can see things getting worse. Um, because things can get worse. There's still some form of a welfare state. Okay, because of austerity, there's not much left of it, but there's still something. I don't know, uh, quite a few of them are happy the way it's going, as in uh, let's get Brexit done and have it over with. And the other half, I think, thinks that uh, they've been lied to and feel, feel deceited. I mean, do you feel that if there was another referendum now, it would be the same or different? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, I mean come on, 52-48, that is a 50-50 vote anyway. So it might be 48-52. Um, 
Is that going to make a big difference? That means the, the other half of the country, or well, other half of the voters, are going to be unhappy. Yeah. But what amazed me was that um, there were so many irregularities, not not even to, to, to mention the actual lies, which were so, yeah, so no, obvious absolutely. lies. I mean, no, I mean, the whole process has been a shambles, and that's a real thing to be ashamed of. I mean, uh, a big decision like this should uh, pass through the House of Lords with a two-thirds vote. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's Yeah, and I mean, I think for, for the referendum, went. there should have yeah. been a minimum. Absolutely. So, and basically, because of political games, um, I would say 98% uh, of the Brits are, uh, excuse the words, up shit creek. Without a paddle. And without one, yeah. Okay, let's move along a little bit here. Oh, you're quite busy, quite a lot of people here. Um, right, moving along, moving along. Oh, he can afford a bit of austerity there as a yeah, he, he guy can. there weighing about what? One of the few smiling ones, though. Oh, yes, he is smiling, yeah. Well, he was a, a jolly chap. He found it quite amusing that I took his picture. I mean, with, with pictures like this, it always it, it always interests me. Do you actually ask if you can take the pictures, or do I, you I hide ask. behind a pillar, or what? I, I never ask, but I always show myself to be a photographer. So I don't hide, but I don't ask. People see that I take a picture, and quite often people don't want it, and if they don't want it, I explain what I'm doing, and then we come to a compromise, usually. Well, you um, carry on anyway. Well, I always carry on anyway, because I'm in the public uh, space documenting uh, the Brexit, so of officially... Their I, face I is not private property. It's not private property, especially in, um, in public areas. But I always have respect. For, if somebody really says, listen, mate, I really don't want to because so-and-so and so, and so, and so. Right, fair enough, I'll, uh, I'm not going to delete the picture, but I definitely won't use it. Like if you catch a married man out with his girlfriend? For example, I mean, you know, like these two... OK, they're the youngsters uh, uh, sitting together, on uh, the girl sitting on his lap. Um, but as you can see, she's looking at me, she knows I'm taking the picture, and uh, she's fine with it. Um, there are a lot of pictures here, I think. There's a, a lot of pictures where there's a, a contradiction between one element and another. Um, for example, there's a very grimy-looking brick wall with a, a big wheel behind saying Pleasure Beach, yeah, and there's yeah. not yeah. much pleasure going no, on there. No. And there's one below, which is a, a, some sort of pleasure boat. Um, it's a pleasure boat around Pleasure Beach. <laughs> <laughs> and that's behind that. That looks like a, a, a shipyard, but I think that's probably a fairground yeah, thing. Yeah, that's fairground. That's the other side of uh, Pleasure Beach. They're both taken in. Okay, but it, it could between the, the, the waterway where the boat is and the and the, the fairground. There's this enormous great brick wall. It could be yeah. also almost out of Berlin in the exactly. 1970s, yeah, couldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And another, another thing you do, which I think is, it works really well, is, is it all cutting pictures in half. So you have one half of the picture is maybe inside a, a room, yeah. and the other side, the other pictures. And there's a wonderful there. there are, where's that exactly? Is That's Stratford. 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 Yeah. Stratford East. Uh, up on Avon. On, on Avon. And it's what three, four guys looking very smart in their suits. Yeah, in the um, probably six And the other college. half of the picture is like a cafe inside yeah. of a cafe. So we're standing in the doorway or something yeah. like that. And leaning on the wall of the cafe is, is, a, is a beggar, homeless guy. Yeah, a rough sleeper, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it actually kind of shows nearly the three classes, doesn't it? Like yeah. uh, lower class, middle class, and upper class. Yeah. And there's one next to it again. This, I take it, is from the, also from the, the, the fairground, the Pleasure Beach. But no, that's uh, in Romford. Oh, right. I said, yeah. oh, they've got yeah. captions under here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Place names. It's like, this is uh, all well, Romford. Okay. That's all Stratford. Okay. But that's a little yellow... What is it? Uh, one of those toy things outside a supermarket where kids can... Oh, uh, right, we put a penny in it, it wobbles up and down. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Not much pleasure there. That's an amusement arcade, and there's a guy slumped over a, a sort of electronic one-armed bandit which says, deal or no deal. <laughs> and he's trying to get a bit of humour in there. Absolutely. And there's his baby asleep in a 
pushchair. Next to that is a. Are we allowed to say fat in context of people? Are we allowed to describe people as fat? Uh, overweight might be. A no, bit I think it's just as bad. <laughs> it's a fat lady with an equally fat child sitting in a nasty little cafe it's like with a fish, and a, fish and chips. And next, and next to that, we're back in the in the fairground. So these are uh, uh, prints which are much larger. These are sort of um, A3, I think. Um, and larger than that, I think. They're in centimetres, they're 60 by 40. I mean, this is all working towards a book in the end. Um, due to corona and uh, other circumstances, and haven't come round to it yet. I mean, things are moving so fast with one thing or another. Your book is going to have to move to keep pace with things. Yeah, indeed. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm going to continue to uh, document this Brexit and work on the book at the same time. And uh, then I've got a, a set of 15 uh, pictures that I'm, um, I'm selling as prints. How has Brexit affected you personally? Did you work at all in... Uh, you're, you're based in, in, in Holland. I'm based in the Netherlands, yeah. yeah but, but do you work, do you work in, in, in England at all? Well, I, I work uh, in England documenting the Brexit, especially for uh, two Dutch newspapers. Um, will, will it affect me? Well, <laughs> strange enough, um, it's given me work because it's uh, letting me document uh, what's happening there. But I'm not really representative in that sense. But if you look at my sister and her family, they, they are suffering already. Um, he lost his job a year ago now due to the company that he worked for um, um, had to uh, close down because uh, the future wasn't certain because they export a lot of their products to Europe. Uh, so he got a new job now, luckily enough, but even that company now, it's tightening the belt and, and the future's bleak for them. And how did the Dutch look, at, look on it? I think the Dutch really don't understand what's going on. I don't think anybody understands. No, no, nobody understands, but the Dutch are quite level-headed, quite logical thinkers, and they think, well, it seems like Brexit is a bad thing for you, so why on earth did they vote for it, and why are they... Why is for the Dutch they look more to the politics than the actual people, of course? Is why is Boris Johnson every time uh, killing the negotiations? Well, why don't you uh, get divorced in a civil way? Mm. And the, yeah, the Dutch really don't understand what's going on. I think. No, I mean, I find it difficult to. I don't think. I think. I think anybody with any mm. sense has yeah. has difficulty understanding that. Right, moving along. Everybody's looking very glum. They're not, yeah. he's not, they're not looking glum because of Brexit, though, surely. They're just looking glum because that's the way they are. Yeah, because the, well, for me, that's kind of the state of Britain. Um, but, I mean, do you feel this is representative? I feel this is more representative than most people realise. I mean, how if you... If you oh, okay, I had a discussion with my father. He, he lives in Birmingham. He travels to... Um, to his work and to his, the places he usually goes to. I mean, I asked him, he said to me, well, uh, it's all very glum, like you said. I said. Well, when is the last time you went to uh, Bransholm Estate in Hull, for example, or went up to Peterborough in Scotland or to uh, Morecambe? It's, 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 there aren't very happy places. No, it is quite glum. Um, like you say, in London, you, you, it is not representative at all. I mean, I lived in London for a long time and then... I, before we came over here, I lived in, in Cheltenham, which is another sort of little awesome. bubble. Um, and there is a very much a north-south divide. I think if, if you did, if you went out on this project completely south of Watford, you'd get different pictures. 
Yeah, that's one of the few areas I haven't really... I mean, my southern line is Stratford, which is quite a nice place to be still. Uh, Swindon, which... Not a nice place to be. Officially, I believe that Swindon's uh, the most average town in Britain, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And if you say that's not a pleasant place to be, there you go. That's Britain for you. <laughs> um, but it is quite depressing to think that this this is this is Britain. This is a large part of Britain. It is not Britain as a whole, but it's definitely a, a big part of it. And it is also, to a certain extent, depressing that it was those people who chose our fate. Yeah, that's true. And well, you can can blame politics for that because if people are lied to long enough and they feel the hardship of um, of the, their life, but you, I you think, can't really blame think, them. No, but I think it, it wasn't really entirely a short-term thing. It wasn't only believing Boris's lies. I think there is something intrinsic in the, in yeah, the British yeah. character which thinks that, you know, we're separate, you know, we won, world, we won the war and we won the I'm World Cup in 1966. And, yeah, exactly. um, you know, and um, we're better than Johnny Foreigner. Yeah, that, that, that does make uh, the Brits strong. Um, or, or weak. But... <laughs> It's a fault. It doesn't. Yeah, it never helps them. No, no, it never helps. Proud people and people who believe they are strong. Or oh, pride are. comes before the fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's it goes hand in hand together. These things um, to undertake a hardship um, also has a kind of proud with it. And also, they have the advantage now of when it all goes wrong, they can blame the coronavirus. That's true. Yeah, but don't get started on that. That's <laughs> a, that's really that's a, another hardship on top of everything. Um, okay. Well, I think that will do. Thanks very much indeed. Um, I'm with Merlin Daleman at his exhibition, which is called My Brexit, fifty-two forty-eight. Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. You're listening to Arts Talk Radio, which this week is coming from the Kunsthal in Rotterdam. I'm now in the gallery next to the My Brexit show at another exhibition of photographs, but very different ones. The show is called For Your Eyes Only and is a collection of old black and white amateur snapshots of naked ladies. The collection was put together by journalist and collector Wim de Jong and most of the photographs are either French or German so there's no chance of finding your granny in a compromising pose. Unless, of course, she was French or German. Um, I've arranged to meet Arts Talk magazine deputy editor Astrid Burkhard. You've had a quick look round. What's your first impression? Yes, I, th- I think they're quite funny, but in a, in a strange way, it feels sort of quite cruel to laugh at these women now, because it's quite obvious that they were photographed either by their husbands or boyfriends and coaxed into... Anything, and anything was good enough, even photographing very young girls, so one suspects that those were the daughters of the photographers. Because some of these are, are pretending or have some pretensions to be artistic. Others are just, I mean, there's a giant one there of a woman sitting in a, with just her knickers on in a horrible room 
With a I mean, button. she obviously does not want to be photographed. Look at her hands and her face. She doesn't want to be photographed. No, no. And there are quite a few like that. Either they're sort of... Uh, one has stuck her head into a lap shade, <laughs> which is quite funny. That's fine. Uh, yeah. I think that's a copy of a surrealist thing, isn't it? That's exactly. Uh, Duchamp but some have sort of masks on. Quite a few are obviously taken by a boss of his secretary in the office. So there's sort of things going on on tables and on office chairs. They are mainly 50s and 60s. And then as time goes on, you can see that the girls posing have, they're not just housewives, they're girlfriends and they have better bodies. So, but they are, as I say, some of them have, they've made an effort to be, to yes. be glamorous or to make yes. proper photographs. But a lot of them are, are, are snapshots, aren't they? Yeah, but over there, the the, the, the man who's obviously posed his uh, his girlfriend or his wife, in between a V-shaped cheese plant or some such thing over there. Um, I mean, he obviously thinks that he's taking an art photograph. I mean, she is, has a nice young body and everything else, but she's effectively standing behind a dustbin with two branches sticking out on the side. So it, it's kind of... He tries, he tries, but he's got very basic lighting. You can see that on her face. No, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's done with flash. That's done with a really crude flash bulb. So there's quite a lot of that. There are also some uh, which are sort of quite kinky, where they've taken all their wives' clothes off and just put a transparent raincoat over them. Um, but you see, these here are much older. These are sort of 1930s, 1940s. You can tell by the clothes and everything else. And the ones below, there is a girl sort of playing the guitar, and that's a 60s thing. So th these become much more liberated. That The French ones are actually, in a strange way, much more languorous. They, they seem to kind of women know what they're doing so they were a bit more naughty in the typical French way um, and th this series here of this Italian looking girl I mean she is in the process of she starts out wearing a rather large bra and a skirt and then gradually there's a sequence where she takes everything off. Now in those days, this was in the 50s, she looks like Gina Lolo Brigida. In those days there was an awful lot of stuff to take off. Mm. I mean, you know, there were the suspender belts and there was the underskirt and there was the bra and all this kind of stuff. So it's quite a long sequence here of her and the last thing she's taken off is a pair of knickers but she still has her stockings and her spender belt. We should say that most of the most things here are, are, are frames which have a sort of montage of smallish yes. pictures but there are lots of blurps as well and I think one of the biggest ones here this woman standing in looks like it's a ruin or a whatever looking very provocatively lift, lifting up her skirt and rather failing to be provocative. But very large knickers too so that looks very Russian to me. Mm. Uh, I think this is a 40s, the wartime picture, actually. Because in those days, I mean, as you say, most of these are, I don't know, 40s, 50s, maybe even 60s. The only real way to find a, a naked picture of a naked lady was in English magazines called Health and Efficiency, oh. which, were, which were the official magazine of the, of, the, of the nudist movement, but they were really just an excuse, a way of showing naked ladies. And there's a series here of somebody, a naked lady climbing a tree, which is very uh, very health and efficiency. There's no lady standing in the snow. Same lady climbing the tree, back view. And she's obviously found a couple of leaves up the tree because she's doing an, an Adam and Eve fig leaf show. Another one there sitting on some rocks, which looks fairly uncomfortable. 
where magazines that I know of, I don't know whether they were English or American or whatever, were, which were entirely dedicated to husbands submitting the photographs of their nude wives. And they were horribly sorted. They were, and you could see that the wives had been coerced into it. There was no pleasure in it. Whereas in the French ones, th there was. The women were collaborating. I, I do feel that it in a way, it seems unjust to sort of come and now laugh at these women because a lot of them look very uncomfortable. But, but they are, they are. Today, that's not the problem. Because there is a, a great parallel with today because today all the kids, apparently, so they tell me, take pictures of each other with no clothes on or pick, take pictures of themselves with no clothes on. And the, and the, the problem in, in, in these days when you took a photograph with an old brownie 127 or whatever on 35mm film was getting them processed. Because if you took them along to your local chemist or boots or whatever, you'd be in real trouble because they would, they would call the police. When you went to collect your little bag of prints, there would be a policeman waiting there and you'd be arrested for um, obscenity or whatever. So th there are parallels. Yes, um, yes, there are. I mean, this is how much the shift has happened. I mean, from the early days, like in the song Anything Goes, just a show of a stocking could excite a, a man. Things shifted into the 60s where everybody kind of started saying it's, it's kind of chic to take the clothes off. Yeah, but these, there's nothing chic about these pictures, are there? No. Um, another one sitting on the bonnet of a, an expensive-looking car. And here is one a very glamorous lady who looks like after a night out, but she seems to be in an underpass, and that is French. Um, La Rue de la Paix, it says. I mean, those so are almost good, good photographs. Exactly, but she's she's cooperating. But, she's but these are all little these are, are all little like. prints, little yeah. end prints or whatever. It's the sort of thing you'd get from the you'd get from from the chemist in a little yellow Kodak wallet. Uh, some of them are quite seedy. There's a woman here wearing a fur coat having a pee yes. by the seaside somewhere. Another one with her feet in a white enamel bowl washing her feet. Another, another favourite seems to be making a cup of tea in the kitchen, in a very basic, horrible kitchen, making a cup of tea in the nude. Well, I mean, yes, that's the whole principle of nudism, is that you just go back to your normal business and you fry your sausages in the nude and live to regret it. <laughs> right, moving on. Ah, a negligee, I was waiting. Ah, here's, yes, here's a whole series of negligees and frilly... This is obviously a hotel room here. And frilly bits. That's another favourite, being a woman being on the phone. There's another one leaning out of the window. Um, so it's kind of... Another one in a front room yes. with an aspidistra in a chandelier, sitting on a bicycle. A child's bicycle. Mm. Again, that is a 60s picture. You can see by the hair cut and everything else. But it, it's the 40s and the, the 50s pictures, which are really quite sad because those women, they were not liberated in any kind of way. They, they didn't, they, they weren't girlfriend and boyfriend. It's, it's quite sad. It is, I think the overall impression is that it is sad and it's seedy and uh, it's certainly not glamorous and it's certainly not artistic, but it's, it's what people do and you know, yes. there you go. Arts Talk Radio Online, features on the arts in English. This week we've been at the Kunsthal in Rotterdam and failing any further lockdowns for your eyes only continues until the 7th of February next year and Merlin Daleman's My Brexit continues until the 14th of February. 
Well, that's all for this week. My name is Michael Hastid, and so until the next time, it's goodbye.